Thanks again for joining us. So glad we can be together this morning. So uh, we've been for the last few weeks in a series called Real Life, Living to the Fullest. We've been exploring what does it look like to, to put into action, uh, to, to live out some of the Christian principles. As a church, we've studied through the Gospel of Luke, and we've studied through the Gospel of Acts, and we've been exploring who is this Jesus, and what does it look like to follow him, and, and why do we follow him. We've looked at the beginning of the church and the powerful acts of the Holy Spirit uh, as, as a church is, is beginning and so now we're looking primarily in uh, one of one of <clears throat> excuse me one of the letters in the New Testament called James. It's written by James, the brother of Jesus, uh, who after Jesus' resurrection uh, came to faith and became a central character in the church in Jerusalem and the beginning of this Christian movement. Um, and so James, uh, as a pastor here in this this uh, founding church in Jerusalem. Uh, had, had written down, or one of his followers wrote down, just this massive teachings on what it looks like to live out this Christian faith. And I'd encourage you in your time this week and in the weeks to come to spend some time in the book of James reading for yourself. For today, we're going to be looking uh, at the subject of, of taking action, a faith that, that propels us into a life lived out. Okay, and um, and it's a fascinating subject. It comes at a good time. This last week, Sarah and I were able to attend a conference in Seattle, and uh, the subject of that conference was parish, uh, and, and parish has to do with um, like a neighborhood, a small focus on some geographic region, saying these will be my people. This is where I will spend time and spend money and and serve and advocate for. So had to do with uh, parish with neighboring well, and had a lot to do with social justice issues. And uh, that was beautiful and eye-opening and helpful. Many of those subjects had been on our heart. And so we'll get to hear a little bit about some of that today as we consider what does it look like to take action, like to have a faith that invites us to participate in the things happening in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in the world around us. Uh, so today we're going to begin in James chapter 1, verse 22. And, uh, and here's what James has to say for us. He says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at it goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So James says, how ridiculous would it be if like, you totally forgot your image, right? You'd seen yourself in a mirror, but you, you looked in a mirror or you saw a photograph of yourself in modern day terms, right? Uh, and just didn't even recognize yourself. He, he, says, he says, that's what it's like when we claim faith and then don't live it out in any way. We're forgetting the person we've been created to be in this new creation and this transformation that God is doing in our lives. We're forgetting who we are, who we're created to be, and what we're invited into. So he says, don't just listen to the word, but do what it says, is James' first challenge. And in verse 27, he goes on and he says, religion that our God 
that the God our Father <laughs> that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted from the world. You know, religion uh, is kind of a bad word culturally. You might you might know that, right? That's that's not a word that we love a lot, and sometimes rightfully so. Religion has to do with the practices of, of a people, right? Religion has to do with the traditions and the ways faith is lived out. Now, religion uh, becomes uh, problematic, uh, becomes um, takes on an entirely different nature when those rituals begin to trump what they're rooted in, right? When, when they become rituals without the heart of the matter, and in the case of religion and church, that is God and a Savior who loves and an invitation to love in the world, right? But when, when tradition, when religion begins to trump, becomes an entirely different thing. And, and he describes here religion in these terms. The religion that God our Father accepts is pure and is faultless and is good is this, looking after orphans and widows in their distress. Like, could there be a more simple definition and idea of what it means to be a follower of Jesus and to begin to take action in our lives, to take care of orphans and widows? A good friend of mine, um, uh, Brian Ace is the director of the Boys and Girls Club here in the area. Really neat guy. Some of you, some of you know him. And one day when I was talking with him about his capacity in that organization, uh, it's not, uh, it, correct me if I'm wrong, it's not overtly a Christian organization, um, but Brian, as a strong Christian man, he, he took uh, the director role in this organization saying, this is the way I look after orphans and widows in their distress. He says, often in our culture, those most vulnerable and needy people are not exactly orphans and widows. In, in, in our world today, those people are often um, single-parent households with a parent working three jobs and children coming home to an empty house with nothing to eat, right? These are those vulnerable people that as followers of Jesus were invited to engage with. And he, he, he really impressed upon me this beautiful idea that, that we are to be advocates for the most vulnerable, for those in need. In James chapter 2, he continues the subject. He says, James says, um, What good is it, brothers and sisters, if anyone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Okay, James steps on some toes here. Uh, and he really, uh, this, this is a challenging passage. I'll just be really honest about that. Because for most any of us that grew up in the church, uh, we believe that, that, that faith saves, that, that through great, the grace of God, we are saved through faith. Absolutely believe that. Absolutely 100% affirm that. But what James tries to draw out of people is he says, if this is a true faith, then it's probably challenging you uh, to live it out in particular ways, right? He says, faith propels us towards a certain way of life, 
it propels us towards living differently. You've all heard the saying, actions speak louder than words, right? Uh, maybe that's kind of what James is getting at. He says our, our action will speak volume to the world around us of the faith that we have. He says, so he says, take action, do things about it. And maybe another illustration would be like in a marriage, uh, those of us that are married here, we took a vow, right, uh, to love and to cherish until death do us part and these sorts of things. But can you imagine a marriage where the idea of love stopped at those words a single time, right? Where there's no love lived out, where there's no love expressed, where there's no acts of kindness. Can you imagine that as a healthy relationship? And yet sometimes that's what we try to do with faith, Right? You say, hey, I said the words, I said the prayer, my heart was in the right place, felt really good, and now I'm just doing my thing, right? Uh, I think that's what James is getting at. He says, faith is an invitation into a way of life. Faith is an invitation to reciprocate the grace and the love that God has shown. So, You can't earn salvation, right? Our our deeds won't get us there. However, as people of faith, James is inviting us to live it out in a particular way. That faith actually propels us to live our lives differently. James mentions in chapter 2, verse 8, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing right. He says you're doing right when you learn to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, this is not a new concept to Christendom, as James is saying this. Uh, in fact, Jesus said these same words. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength of mind with all your being, and then love your neighbor as yourself. And this was actually, in, in the first century, a common answer to what do I need to do? How do I live, right? What, what, how, do, how do we summarize this law? Uh, this, this is what a rabbi or a teacher of the law, the Pharisees or Sadducees, would answer. In fact, in Luke chapter 10, uh, probably my favorite chapter in all of Scripture, read it. It's, Jesus sends out the 72, and, and then he brings them back and huddles and cares for them. And, and, and in Acts chapter 10, after that, that passage, um, uh, Jesus is approached by a lawyer, uh, one of the, the religious leaders of the day, um, and, and his specialty is in the law. This lawyer says, uh, trying to trap Jesus, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Uh, and Jesus throws the question back at him like he so often does, and he says, well, what does the law say? You tell me. You're the expert, right? And, and the man says, well, love God w- with your everything, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, all right, you got it. Do that, and you'll live. Right? Jesus says, all right, you know the right answer, right? You, you have the faith. You have the understanding. Now do it, and, and you're good, right? Uh, but the lawyer, he wasn't looking for a right answer, right? Uh, in fact, in this very moment, what ought to have happened is the lawyer in, in this broken place says, but I've come to realize I can't love God with every fiber of my being, right? I fall short of that. And in fact, there's people that I don't love very much, right? This is like, if you imagine, we we love to listen to those words and say, look at how simply it summarizes the Old Testament. Isn't that cool? Yeah. But what, what Jesus is pushing at is, okay, do it. 
And we realize I fall short of loving God with my entirety. I fall short uh, of loving my neighbor as myself. And so the guy wanting to justify himself, like I think often we uh, want to do, like I want to do at times, um, he says, oh, but, but who is my neighbor? right? Uh, He asks this question, so who's my neighbor? And it goes into the story of the Good Samaritan. We probably know it. I'll be brief on it. But a man is walking down the road. He's beaten up and he's robbed. And along come uh, two high men in Israelite culture, a priest and a Levite. And they both walk by on the other side, leaving the man dying in the road. And then comes a Samaritan, which by the way, in uh, Jewish culture, a Samaritan, this is like a swear word, right? Like the worst thing you could call someone is a Samaritan because they were another people. They were the infidels. They were the bad, bad people that had broken off from Israel, um, the bane of Israel's existence. And along comes this man, a Samaritan, and he sees a man in needs. And what you see play out there is like this blueprint for social justice, for what it looks like to love a neighbor well, what happens is this man offers companionship. He offers financial help in this situation. He gives the man lodging. He binds his wounds. He carries the man down a road to a place, right? And you see this beautiful story of the least likely person, the Samaritan, beginning to engage a faith that says, we love our neighbors, And so who is our neighbor? What's the answer here in this text? Uh, Well, our neighbor is anyone whose path we come across, right? When we look at the racial divide and the challenges faced in this text, Jesus is saying our neighbor is anyone that we come across. If you heard last week, uh, Steve spoke, did a remarkable job, and he spoke out of Matthew chapter 25, where it's this judgment scene and Jesus uh, speaking to people that believed themselves to be followers. He said, I didn't know you. And they said, how could you not know me? I was in church every week or whatever that is, right? And, and, uh, and he said, no, see, when I was hungry, you didn't give me something to eat. Thirsty, you didn't give me something to drink. In prison, you didn't visit me, right? And Jesus says to this other group of people, he says, uh, welcome good and faithful servant. Because you fed me when I was hungry. You gave me something to drink when I was thirsty. You see, Jesus says, I am the poor and the hurting. I am those most vulnerable people. He says, what you do for them, you do for me. So he invites us, like James does, take action. All right. So here's where it gets really vulnerable for me. I'm about to do uh, just the craziest thing I can imagine. I want to talk about uh, vulnerable people in our community, in our nation, and in the world. Okay? Now here's the problem with that. Uh, I'm going to lay these things out there, and there's going to be times that you're going to be like, oh, no. That's not, that's not an issue. There's going to be times when there are arguments as to whether or not this is a problem. I'll not lay this all out as the things that I think we need to engage in. But what I want to do is raise some awareness and say these are big conversations happening in our community, in our nation, and in the world. These are conversations that at least some information, some consideration is due as people considering what it looks like to live out 
of faith. This will not be an exhaustive list, uh, but it will take uh, plenty of time. So I'm going to get rolling on it. Um, let, me say, let me say this, though. Um, in that moment where it kind of ruffles your feathers or you feel a little defensive like I do on a number of these subjects, right? When, when it feels like I need to be a little defensive, I just want to tell you that, that the place that you're in is a community of people that is choosing not to allow our differences to divide, uh, but to uh, create beauty amongst us and diversity amongst us. We choose to walk in community um, uh, with, with differences and with di- disagreements, which actually spawn conversations and raise questions and allow us to grow and, and to consider new things. So I pray that you'll hear this uh, in that spirit today. The question we're asking today are, are who are the orphans and widows? Who are the, the needy, the, the broken in the world around me? and in the world as a whole. So let's talk locally. Uh, You might be aware of uh, a challenge, um, an increasing number of homeless people in the Tri-Cities. You've probably seen them on street corners. Maybe you've begun to engage in some of the organizations here in the Tri-Cities that help with the homeless population in the Tri-Cities. It's a tragic problem, not only affecting people with drug addiction or mental illness, though that is um, a significant population here in our community, but affecting families and many children in our schools who have no home to live in that receive aid from these schools because of it. Uh, So certainly the neighbors in our community include the homeless. Uh, mental illness is a major challenge that we face in the Tri-Cities, and, and we're quite lacking in facilities and care and ways to deal effectively with people. In fact, mental illness in the Tri-Cities, like in most of our nation, there's, there's a number of communities, uh, and in fact, there's been a coalition recently in the Tri-Cities to, to try to bring uh, a one-stop uh, mental health care facility to the area. H- however, most of our communities um, leave our police force and, um, and our, our prison system dealing with our mentally ill, which, as you can imagine, is a very ineffective way to actually help a hurting situation. Um, uh, The elderly in our community are dealing with uh, increased costs of living, uh, with increased costs of health care, and and we have a a significant population of shut-ins in our community, people unable to leave their own homes. Our community continues to need to move towards inclusion and opportunity for minority peoples in our area. Uh, There is tons of room for growth, uh, for inclusion and opportunity for minority and underserved populations in the Tri-Cities. All right, there's a few. Don't worry, this is going to keep going a little while. We're going to feel overwhelmed. We're going to feel like, wow, that's way too much stuff. How can we do any of that? Don't, we're going to, we're going to move beyond that. Um, But let's talk on a national scale about some of the uh, things happening, and I promise I will not leave this all on a doom and gloom note, okay? So just walk with me. Walk with me through this as, as we just consider who are these orphans and widows? Who are our neighbors that we're invited to engage on the national level? Uh, wealth distribution and increasing po- poverty continues to be a big subject nationally. Um, lack of opportunity for underserved communities to rise up out of the struggles that they're facing continues to be a national conversation. Uh, racism continues to be a conversation in the U.S., and I think rightfully so. Um, at this conference this last week, I listened to a brilliant author and, and speaker um, on, on the subject of both racism and mass incarceration that I'll talk about in just a second. Um, and he said, 
In the U.S., the story of racism usually goes something like this. There was slavery way back then, and it was a really bad thing, right? And he says, but then there was the 13th Amendment, the Emancipation Proclamation, and, and things got better. Well, but there was still segregation, right? So we had that segregation problem, um, uh, but as we moved beyond segregation and began to integrate, man, things were a lot better. And then finally, Barack Obama became president and everything is solved, right? <laughs> and I said that jokingly. He says, that's kind of the narrative that we hear of racism in America. And he says, let me tell you, that leaves out so much that was and is on the table today on the subject. He says, it's not that simple and we're not that far beyond it, right? So this is another national conversation we're having. Mass incarceration, I'll be brief on this, but if you want more information, I was fascinated. Dave and Jacob recommended to me this um, documentary called 13th. It's about the 13th Amendment, uh, but it's on Netflix, and um, uh, you know, it, it's about mass incarceration, racism, so it, it's got some adult content in there. You decide if you want to see that, but it really shines a light on some challenges we're facing with mass incarceration. Did you know that in 1973, there were 200,000 people in prison in the United States? 200,000 in the 70s, and by 2009, there was 2.2 million people incarcerated in the U.S. That is a drastic shift. Did you know that the U.S. represents 5% of the world's population, but 25% of the world's imprisoned population? Is it, that's, those are kind of wild statistics to me. And if you want to further, by the way, fuel the flames, which I won't go into in a lot of detail, uh, you'd talk about the privatization of prison, uh, prison for profit with um, minimum occupancy uh, uh, standards, like uh, communities are fined if they don't keep the jail full enough, right? So, so there's a lot of conversation to be had on mass incarceration in the United States. And finally, uh, on the national level, I'd mention just immigration and refugees, right? This is a hot-button subject um, that's worth our consideration and conversation. Right now in the world, there are 22.5 million refugees, that is people uh, out, uh, that have moved away from their country um, and, and have yet to be assisted. Uh, there's 40 million in, internally displaced people, so people living in camps still inside their own nation. Uh, that's 63 million people in the world right now displaced because of genocide and war. There is a refugee crisis in the world. Um, uh, that total population, just to give it some scope and size, is the size of California and Texas combined. The number of people in California and Texas combined right now in our world uh, are refugees, right? Okay, uh, that was fun, right? Right? We get some heavy stuff there. Uh, and finally, I'll just mention a few on international. Uh, slavery is not over, uh, though not often talked about. It, uh, 30 million slaves worldwide and an estimated 60,000 in the United States of America still living in slavery. Gender equality continues to be a major subject. That's one we take on locally and nationally on some level. But uh, it, worldwide, uh, gender equality means um, inequality access to work and to pay and to basic freedom for women's and inability to live uh, like like we're able to, uh, like so many, even in their nation, uh, male people are able to live. So gender inequality, um, 
uh, deforestation. Um, I, I read this week, um, our forests across the world are being depleted by 13 million hectares a year. Now, who knows what a hectare is? Who even knows if I'm saying that word right, right? I mean, <laughs> did I get it right? Okay, yeah. 13 million uh, in a year. And just to give that some scope, uh, the inside of a track, the grassy area inside of a full-size track field is 1.1 hectare. Uh, and and we're deforesting by 13 million hectares a year. It, in fact, um, Sarah, my wife, grew up in Guinea, West Africa on the mission field where over the course of the last generation or two, deforestation have, has devastated this nation, right? So deforestation is a significant subject to consider. Uh, world hunger, 11% of the world's population is undernourished. World health, uh, in, a lack of access to clean water like C- Steve spoke about last week, uh, creates major disease crises throughout the world. All right. I'm going to stop there, okay? How are we feeling? We okay? I mean, we can be uncomfortable. Let's be honest. We're talking about big things happening in the world. It's okay that we feel discomfort. It's okay, by the way, as people of Jesus, that we lament these things, that we feel that grief for a, for a hurting and broken world. And, and if at some point in there you said, no way, that's ridiculous, that's okay too, invite you to conversation, and I'm not going to try to convince you of my perspective. We are intelligent people that have the ability to consider for ourselves, um, what are these major challenges, and where can, should, or might I engage? I do simply propose today that these are relevant conversations taking on, being being had here in the Tri-Cities on a national level and on an international level. Now, if we ended right here, uh, we'd leave depressed, defensive, and overwhelmed, and none of those are gifts of the Spirit, nor are any of those what we're trying to produce, right? Uh, so, so let's talk about um, where we go from here. Um, I wanted this morning to raise some awareness as we talk about taking action. I wanted to raise awareness on some small local things and some much larger national or world subjects because we're asking the question of how and where do we get to engage. And here's the beautiful thing when we're feeling overwhelmed or realizing that I as one person can't change it. Uh, we're not called to go it alone, okay? That, that's a really important principle to consider today. Um, this is a primary purpose of the church, that we walk together, that we discern the Spirit's guidance, and that we engage, that we act in meaningful ways on the subjects that the Spirit is inviting us to participate in, in uh, reclaiming broken parts and broken people in this world now, many of you give in a lot of different ways uh, to this church and have to other churches, and that's a beautiful thing. Uh, some give of finances and some give of time, and those are both remarkable. And as a church, we seek, I, I just want to kind of rein in this conversation to say these, these major problems, what in the world do we do? And I want to I say, to some extent, you're doing it. We're, we're doing it in that as a church, we focus on giving both uh, locally, nationally, and internationally. And we seek to partner with organizations that are bringing about sustainable change on the very subjects that we just talked about. For instance, we partner with World Relief. Uh, we support um, that organization financially. Uh, two families in our church, neither were able to be here today, I see. Uh, but uh, Jacob and Christine, uh, Chris and Aaron Bush, um, they, they both have adopted refugee families uh, to help acclimate them to a new home here in the Tri-Cities. 
beautiful work happening that, that we, that you, uh, are a part of, of participating in. Uh, Rebuilding Together or Habitat for Humanity, these sorts of organizations working on housing uh, for people in the Tri-Cities. At, at the last service project we did with Rebuilding Together, we had five of our households come out, uh, and we supplied the finances to build a ramp for a gentleman that had been shut in his home for years. Right, and, and so we get to participate in in, in these things. Uh, World help um, as a church, we uh, finance the uh, the drilling of a well in South America. Um, the Dean Hills have been very involved in this organization and gone to previous well dedications and participated in that. Last week, you heard Steve talk about Sohi, and I know a number of people here are interested in getting involved in some of that stuff. What I want to do is focus this conversation saying, wow, there's some major issues out there, but say, hey, they're not as far outside of our reach as we may think. In fact, as we raise awareness on the challenges, I want to raise awareness on the things that are happening here and now, that we are, that you are, that as a people, we are engaging these subjects and beginning to see uh, increased um, opportunity for underserved people. We're beginning to learn to love our neighbors better, right? Now, we can't fix this all in one day, uh, or in some cases, even in a lifetime. However, I think the text of James and the words of Jesus are inviting us to consider taking action. What does it look like to feed the hungry, um, to meet needs of those that are hurting? God is inviting us today to be a voice for those who can't speak for themselves, a shelter to those in need, and a warm embrace to the hurting. Right? God's inviting us to be that voice for those that can't speak up. A shelter to those in need, a warm embrace to hurting people. And friends, I want to say there's a lot of joy and beauty in accepting Jesus' invitation to to bring about meaningful change, to serve and to love and to help. And remember that we're a people who don't do this out of some determination of our own, but in response to a God that loved and served, sheltered and cared and poured grace out on us. And I think it's only when we get catch, catch a glimpse of that perspective that it is out of grace that I have what I have. It is out of grace that I have the hope that I have, that we begin to be able to say, and I want to show that kind of grace and love to a world around me. So let's talk a couple practical steps, and let's close this, this thing down, okay? Um, so what, what's next? On these big subjects, I'd, I'd encourage this. Whichever one tugged at your heart most, local, national, international, whatever, like whatever kind of tugged at your heart, and like, you're like, wow, um, start with information. Start with a little bit of research and conversation with people around. Consider researching an organization that's doing a great job of engaging that subject, uh, learning more about that organization. And eventually, I think uh, our, our best assistance comes not just with our dollars, but when we choose to embed in some sort of organization or some sort of uh, partnership that invites us to know the people that we're trying to serve and to help, right? When we start to embed, uh, Walk in the shoes of people and learn. So on those big ones, start with one, right? We can't tackle it all in a day, and no one of us can tackle all of it. So we consider, uh, you know, start with one and gain information, choose an organization, and engage, okay? Um, let's go smaller, though. 
Let's, let's go really small, in fact. And this is one of the major subjects of the conference we were at. Um, let's talk neighborhood. When, it, when Jesus tells us to love your neighbor, sure, he's talking about everyone, and sure, he's talking about world issues and, and the big things, but let's not forget that he's talking about our neighbors, too, right? Knowing our neighbors, walking hand in hand with people that are struggling around us is significant. And friends, I believe this is gospel stuff. Continue to give generously uh, in, in organizations, in church, in, in the lives of people that you come in contact, of our time and of our finances. We continue to give generously. And finally, I want to invite you to this that I'm really, really excited about. And, and I hope that some of you are too. So over the next six weeks, Sarah and I are going to be hosting in our home uh, three different gatherings, and um, we're going to have conversation, we're going to have prayer, and the goal of this is like as a church, the question is, what is the Spirit inviting us to? Like, where is God at work in this community, and where is He inviting us to come alongside God's mission and to partner in remarkable ways to see wonderful tra- change, transition, and hope here in our community and throughout the world? So we'll talk about our, our calling. We'll talk about the history of the Tri-Cities. We'll talk about local needs and challenges. We want to start some conversation because here's what I know. Uh, of everything that I can spout and all the facts here, uh, in this room, there is far more information than what I know or can put down on a paper or cover in 25 minutes, right? So we think that communally, we have an opportunity to hear a beautiful uh, vision from God as to where we as a church are being invited to participate in his mission and what he's doing. So you see the dates there. We'll have them on the website and on Facebook and that sort of thing. If you'd like to join us, these will be simple gatherings. Um, We'll have some snacks and something to drink. And we'll sit and we'll have conversation on some of these subjects. And we'll spend some time praying for people in our community and for God's guidance on the subject. There's our practical tips, right? Uh, consider an organization, learn to love your neighbors, literally, um, and, and then consider joining in some conversation on where and how we can continue to move forward as a people. Hey, friends, we're going to close out on that. Uh, the overarching message is this. Uh, James says, it's good that you have faith. I believe faith is our hope. But faith propels us into action, right? Faith invites us to engage in the world around us. So where you see opportunity in the week to come, where God tugs at your heartstrings, I invite you to consider uh, what does it look like to engage, to give a meal to a hungry person, to clothe someone without clothes, to care for the least of these amongst us, and in so doing, to hear Jesus' response, well done, good and faithful servant, right? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time, this opportunity. Father, we thank you uh, for your words. Father, invite us into action in meaningful, sustainable ways. Father, thank you for the incredible amount of work that is already happening amongst this this little people here today and our church as a whole. Father, thank you for the faith community of the Tri-Cities and the way it is engaged. And Father, thank you for the faith community throughout the world that is um, considering these sorts of challenges, considering how to love our neighbor better, and considering what it looks like to... Um, 
advocate for and step into the lives of people that are hurting in this world. Father, uh, give us your grace. Even as we hear all of this um, and consider next steps, Father, allow us to know your love and your grace, that we not be motivated out of a sense uh, of, of have to, but Father, that in your grace, you will shape our hearts to desire to help those in need. Father, thank you for Jesus, for the hope that we found in him. It's in his name we pray. Amen.